I'm home. Y'all know about killing? Well, I'd like to hear about it, potheads. Who's your movie? Hey everybody, welcome back to another Who's Your Movie. I'm Bill. And I'm Zoom. And today we are taking a little bit of a turn away from our normal type of movie here. We're going to get away from the, the fun and games or the action, excitement, pew pew pew. And we're going to visit a drama about the Vietnam War. We're going to be talking today about 1986's Platoon. Well... To kind of go along with what you're saying there, Bill, it is kind of pew pew pew, you know. It is a, it is a Vietnam movie, so, but it goes deeper than that, than that, a lot deeper than that. Yeah, it's not an action movie. It's a, it's a drama. It, it's not. I mean, there's action in it, but well, there's action in it. But you're, what you're saying is that Michael Bay did not direct this, right? It's not. Uh, yeah, it's not like a Bruce Willis shoot 'em up movie. It's it, it's a uh, it's a very heavy deep. Vietnam peace, and we're gonna we're gonna go through it with you today, and we'll uh, we'll get some stories out of this, and I'll hopefully have a at least a, an interesting time, hopefully kind of fun time talking about not so fun period of time in our history. So, platoon. Uh, so you kind of hinted towards a story when I was talking with you a little bit earlier and it was a pretty interesting one uh, so you you had a, a an interesting lead-in to this movie introduction to this movie if you if you will yeah I, I, my father was in Vietnam and he he didn't talk much about it he just didn't and from what I gather a lot of veterans are that way they're not very open and talking about the Vietnam, especially since that a lot of them, when they got sent home, they had such a brotherhood and they felt that sense of brotherhood that they felt terrible when they got home because they weren't with their brothers anymore. And but my, my father specifically went out and rented this on VHS. Yes. Again, kids, there's always such a thing as a VHS back in 1988. And he wanted me specifically to sit down and watch this movie with him because he told me this was the most realistic portrayal of what Vietnam was to him. And that's uh, that's pretty high praise, considering you've got, like, Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now, geez, I can't talk, um, uh, The Deer Hunter, another great mm-hmm. one. Um, so that that's high praise for, for this movie that uh, actually had a little bit of trouble getting made. Yeah. Well, it's after Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone was in Vietnam. And after he got out... He wrote this screenplay, and he sent it to Jim Morrison. Yes. Because he wanted Jim Morrison to to star in this movie. Which tells you how long he was trying to get this thing greenlit to get made. Oh, I think they said it was every bit of eight, nine years, if not longer. So, but it, you know, it didn't work out that way. And actually, Oliver Stone ended up writing the uh, Midnight Express, and that's how he got the cred to go forward with this. Yeah, I believe they uh, both the screenplays got bought together, right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah, this is uh, an intense movie. I did not see the movie until like 
way, way, way late. Like, I was probably almost in college. Um, ironically, as such, because uh, I've had a Commodore 64 since I was three years old, <laughs> back in 84. And uh, Platoon was one of the games that I had very early. Um, it came out in 88. Uh, the game that is not the movie, but or, or I'm sorry, uh, 87, I believe. I think it was the year after the movie. So I mean, I I was a young pup playing Platoon, uh, not having any idea what the context was. I just enjoyed the game and uh, was going through Blockbuster one day, noticed that there was a movie. Was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and your and your first response was probably. Oh wow! They made a movie about the game. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't quite that uh, naive. I, I figured that was probably the, um, the 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 order of things was the movie first. But I still didn't watch it until a long time later. So I, I knew of it, but I just I hadn't caught it. And then when I did, holy hell! You were glad you were. You were glad you did. I'm glad I waited as long as I did. To be honest. Um, if not for the potential traumatizing of a child that would have taken place, I can't say whether that would have or wouldn't have happened, but I, I understood a lot more being older. Well, and that, and that stands to reason just for the simple fact that when my, my dad sat me down and watched this, I was 11 years old. Yeah. I didn't fully grasp everything until I got older. And now it's, it, in terms of war movies, this is this room really... You know, hits close to home because it hits so close to home to my dad. Mm -hmm. So, well, and there's a lot of intense stuff going on, and, and this one they did another good job of like showing in some uh, subplots that, like, you probably don't catch the first time around, or if you do, you don't really think about them too much. Right. But, um. Yeah, th there's a whole lot going on here where it's not just. About Vietnam, but it's also, you've got Barnes, who's clearly seen some stuff with that big-ass scar all over his face, and just the way he's talking about stuff, and you kind of watch his kind of descent into madness. you got Elias. You've got the power struggle between those two. And the lieutenant that's gutless. The, yeah, and the thing with that, like, you, you've you got, um, you're talking about uh, Jesse McGinley's character, whose name escapes me, right? Um, who keeps wanting to get the call to yeah, GTFO? But, but he's not the lieutenant, though. There's another higher up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. You're yeah, you're talking about the guy who keeps letting Barnes make the calls for him. Yeah, because and Barnes is only a staff sergeant as to where Elias <laughs> is only a sergeant, and he, this is the ranking lieutenant, and this guy just sitting on his hands. He clearly the the novice that has the grizzled vets uh ranked underneath him but they're the ones really running the show because they know what to do well they were probably you know officers you know they were you know college grads officers mm -hmm. never seen a day of battle in their life and they don't know what to do right and it's made fairly clear several times that yeah he's not um not the best to be handling these situations no. out there um but there's also John McGidley's character who he keeps thinking that this is the time that he's going to get the call to go back home. And then, yeah, another tour. Another one and another one. And he's not the most likable character. He's an ass kisser. Like, you know, well, he's an ass kisser and, you know, 
he's not the greatest guy, like, morally either in a lot of situations, but you, you watch this happen to him over and over again, and you wonder if he got that way because this keeps happening, and he's just to the fuck it point. Yeah. Well, and, and he's doing whatever he can to get out of there. And it makes you think about those kind of, like, individual stories about, uh, like, soldiers that would be over there. And it's like, if you were really over there and that kept happening, like, where would you be mentally? And I I, I can't imagine I'd be too far off of where he was. No. <clears throat> Sergeant, Red, Sergeant Red O'Neill. Yeah. That's his character. And it's like, you know, the guy... Keeps getting thrown out into the mix like over and over again, and uh, you know, payday just never comes for him. And it's like at a certain point, it uh, it's almost like a death row inmate watching appeal after appeal after appeal, and it's just being strung out. Yeah, and it's just you see that it, it goes from desperation to just uh, like almost acceptance. That and, like, uh, well, this is it. Yep. I'm done. And it, you know, it sucks watching that. Well, and you see, going into the final final battle scene, really, you see, you know, Sergeant Red go to, to Barnes and say, I got a bad feeling about this one. Yeah. And he says, "I, you know, come on, put me on the helicopter, let me get out of here for, and stay the weekend with my wife. Nope, I need you, I need you here. Yeah, and you, it sucks because you can see both sides of the coin, too, because, I mean, you got a bunch of, you know, first-timers out there, you throw them out in the battlefield they're just cannon fodder at that point without some vets out there that know what they're doing and he's clearly been on enough tours to know what he's doing poor guy well but then you have you know charlie sheen's character chris taylor yeah and he's you know and he's narrating the letters he's writing to his grandmother he was gonna say we haven't even touched on the main character yet yeah. we've already gone through all these little subplots and he, he's writing about you know how nobody wants to teach new guys anything because yeah. they figure you're gonna, we're going to be dead soon anyhow. And it's such a defeatist attitude right off the bat that it just it sets the tone for the whole movie. Uh, yeah, it's very dark. It, it really is. It It's not one that you want to watch if you aren't in the right mood. Because it can really bring you down. Uh, it, it's on par with movies like Requiem for a Dream. Like that—that's another one. You know, you need a hug and a popsicle after a watch it. Well, this I mean, is this is a tough, tough, dark one. And you know, you see, you know, going through with Chris Taylor, him, you know, writing the letters to his grandmother, and you pick it up in the letters that he's narrating that he well, first and foremost, he tells King he dropped out of college and he asked for inter- infantry. He wanted to be there, and you know, King calls him a crusader. And he's not wrong. No. And the thing is, what he's saying, when he's writing these letters to his grandmother, you can pick up the sense that his parents didn't, didn't agree with this at all. Because he's probably writing, not wrong either. <laughs> yeah. Because he's writing the, the letters to his grandmother, and at, during, at the end of one of the letters, I'll say hi to mom and dad for me. So it's obviously they probably disowned him for this. So there's another, there's another subplot. So this is screwing with his head. And he's not ready for what he sees. No. And who would be, to be honest? Uh, the tagline on the movie poster is great. The first casualty of war is innocence. Yeah, it is. Oh, man, that is not to be taken lightly because that is a hell of a statement. I mean, well, it starts off right in the beginning. 
you see Taylor and Gardner come off the transport plane, and they're, all they're doing is loading bodies onto the transport. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're both. And then Gardner even says, "Is that what I think? It is? is that what I think they are?" And so yeah, that's what it is. They're showing you death right as soon as you get there. Yeah, uh, it, it's not a happy place. Uh, it, it it does a great job of showing you the human side of the war. I mean, you, you see the numbers, you know the the Vietnam Memorial, you know all the names on the wall, but man, this th- makes, there's some stuff. There, this makes it personal. Um. The village scene continues to be one of the hardest scenes to watch in any film that I think I've ever seen. Well, yeah. I mean, you got Barnes acting like a complete psycho. I'm committing war crimes. Yes. Let's, let's just let's cut right to it. And Taylor's about to. Yeah. And then he, he comes to his senses and then Bunny just does it anyways. Yeah. There's one character. Like, a lot of these guys, I, I think the situation... That they're put in drives them to how they behave. I think the way he's presented, he's the one guy that I think would have been like that regardless. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong, but it, he just seems like he had the personality for it. And he's just, he's probably having a damn good time. Oh, yeah. You can tell he's having a good time. Yeah. You know, but, and we're talking about Matt Dillon's brother, Kevin Dillon. Yeah, Kevin Dillon. Um,. Yeah, he does some untoward things. And then we have uh, a young Johnny Depp. Yes, I, I forgot Johnny Depp was uh, part of the cast. He was the translator. Yeah, that's right. And the fun fact about that with him in this movie, that was only his first time out of the, outside of the United States. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I forgot about that too. And now he lives in France. <laughs> he, he enjoyed it. <clears throat> well, and the more I dug in this movie from background, it was like, okay... This was shot in the Philippines during a time of turmoil. Yeah. There was a revolution going on in that country, so they had to delay shooting them a week. And then... They had to re... Like, didn't it... The government got overthrown, taken over by someone else, and they had to, like, re-pay off the new regime for all the permits and all this stuff? Talk about setback. (laughs) And then, you know, Oliver Stone, because the dirt wasn't the right color, had to fly in red dirt from, from Vietnam. To make yeah. it look authentic. Yeah, very Kubrick-esque. Yes. Uh, which I, I admire. Mm. I, I like when people go and get it done to make it look like it's supposed to. Like mm-hmm. That's that's how you dedicate. <clears throat> but I thought it was really, really cool that he sent every single cast member, Oliver Stone this is, mm-hmm. to a two-week boot camp. They trained 16 hours a day. They slept in foxholes that they dug themselves like they were actually in the field. And how to quit after day one. Yep. <laughs> uh, I don't care how much you're paying me. Hats off to all of them, because that, that shit ain't easy. And you're doing this in a jungle, don't less. And at the end of the two weeks, they were ready to kill each other. Yeah. But that's what set the tone for this movie and made their character so good. Yeah. Um, I, I think I would have lasted about three hours. And then I'd have been, I'd been like, okay, I'm good. You can take back your, you know, at that time they're probably paying you a hundred grand. <laughs> Here you go. Um, where, where's my agent? Where's the satellite phone? Cause... Right, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't uh, care. I'll pay long distance. Give me a landline. That's right. Uh, I'll I'll hitchhike back. It's cool, guys. <laughs> you keep doing your thing. But yeah, great I... hole you dig in there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and they would sleep in these holes every night, and they said they trained 16, 17 hours a day. 
Yeah. And so that's where I give all the crafts a hell of a lot of credit because you went through hell for two weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I give my hats off more, even more than that to the uh, the soldiers that do it all the time. I, I I imagine conditions are a little bit better in the modern age, but yeah, y- you know, not a ton. I wouldn't think. Yeah, but I mean, there's still a lot of bullshit. Yeah. I'm sure that they have to go through every day. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, hats off for just enduring that, let alone combat conditions on top of that. Yep. Like I I understand why why people come back changed. Oh yeah. I um, mean, for all we know that could have started Charlie Charlie Sheen's drug addictions. Not something that uh, I would argue with. <laughs> because they're actually the one bunker scene where they all get stoned. Yeah. Willem Dafoe had, had come out and admitted, we all got stoned. Yeah, Um. to my knowledge, they took too long mm-hmm. shooting, didn't they? Because they were starting to come down. They, it, 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 they, they got stoned and then they didn't film the, that scene until like three hours later. Oh, yeah. And at the end of it, they were all just tired and ready to go to bed. Yeah, see that... Uh, that could have been even better, but it was yeah. still yeah. yeah crazy cool scene. Great music during that scene too. Yeah, I, great music through a lot of this. Movie. It set the tone. Uh, I mean, the, the street section alone, and when we give our numbers later, I'll, I'll expand. But you know, the the string piece that you hear the the theme of the movie, if you will, right? Like that that alone is cool. But they got some pretty cool tracks to go along oh, with yeah. the uh, the sound or the. Um, the score as well. I mean, not your typical Vietnam War movie with a lot of songs. Nothing like that. Oh. These were really cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then you got Junior who's always trying to get out of the field somehow. You know, he falls asleep on his own watch and blames it on, on, on Taylor. I was just going to bring that up. You, you have guys throwing each other under the bus too, which um, kind of surprised me. I, I'm not sure the. I, I'm sure it happens, but I, I know one of the big things about being a platoon is you you have to work as a unit and all be just a machine by the time you go out into the field. Probably a little different nowadays. They probably have upgraded their training a lot, but um, that certainly is not a winning team. <laughs> well, especially in the field, you've got. Your, your rookies like Taylor. Yeah. And you got the seasoned guys that aren't teaching them anything. Well, yeah, that, that's just a recipe for disaster. And, you know, sure enough. What happened in Vietnam? Oh, well, I won't say we lost, but it was definitely a tie. We got at, the, at, the, at the best part. At the, at the best. At best, it was a tie. Yeah, we... We, we found out we're not as uh, badass as we thought we were in a lot of respects. We're fighting on their turf, and they're in their kind of war. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can have all the training and all the stuff in the world, but sometimes home field advantage is a real thing. But there's um, there's a lot of insight into the conditions during combat, too, which chaotic at best mm-hmm. and just apocalyptic at worst. Mm-hmm. Like the napalm getting called into the wrong coordinates. Yep. That, oh my god. That stuff is nasty. Gnarly. Oh my god. I I can't imagine having to have 
like your skin cut off just to prevent yourself from having the burn spread. Right. <laughs> like, like that that just unfathomable. Right. And it happens. The guy gets hit and cut, cut, cut. Yep. No time for anesthetic. You here you go. Mm-hmm. And fuck that. Exactly. And even going back to, you know, seeing guys get shot or whatever the case is in this movie. You know, you go to the one scene where, it was one of the opening scenes where uh, Junior blames Taylor for, for falling asleep on on, uh, on his watch. Uh-huh. And I forgot who it was that got uh, seriously wounded. And he's screaming in pain. And Barnes walks up to him and puts his hand over his mouth and says, take the pain. Yep. That's war. And it is because you you give away your position. Yep. In any way, it, you're just especially excuse me, especially if you're grossly outnumbered. Oh yeah. You're just you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's like the old adage: tracers work both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see him use tracers, ironically, toward in the night battle. And that's another thing that that my dad taught me. He said in Vietnam they weren't we never used tracers. Never. I. I it seemed weird, because, like, you know, just like the ad says, it gives away where you're at. Right. Because so when, I remember when he and I watched that movie together, and we saw the tracers, that was one thing he stood, that stood out to me, he says, that's one thing that's, that's not true. Yeah. And I said, what's that? And he said, we never use tracers. And I'm sure it was for the scene, and just to give people Visuals. Visual, yeah. Um, especially because it was such a dark scene, and it's so hard to see what's going on there, which was the point, because you know, guerrilla warfare. Right. <laughs> that, that's like the whole purpose. Um, yeah. A lot of crazy stuff going on, and then you you see that that tension come to a head with Barnes and Elias, too. And mm-hmm. they, it, well, the unsanctioned killing, and Elias comes after Barnes and tackles, and they start fighting. Yeah. And then Barnes has that over his head, you know, is he going to find out? And then is he going to testify against, you know, when we get back? And, you know, we're talking a war crime. That's that's not small potatoes. No, war crime, that's dishonorable discharge. You're going to jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As I say, at the very least, it's a dishonorable discharge. And, yeah, it's it's some, uh, some bad stuff going on. But, um, so... You you see that plot start to unveil, and when he when he sends everybody back, and I'll you know I'll go find Elias. Yeah, yeah, you know what's going on. You know now you know what's going to happen, and you know now you come down to the iconic scene of the movie of Willem Dafoe trying to run away after he's already been shot by by Barnes three times. Yeah, and. Another cool part about this, I didn't notice you know, the first couple of times I watched it, but after I, I dug, some, dug through and did some homework, you can see when he's running, and you see the explosions going off behind him. He's got a remote in his hand. He's setting off the, his own explosions. Yeah. That was really cool. But when he actually falls to the ground, he doesn't have it anymore. Right. But yeah, that's the iconic movement, movement, scene of the movie, and it's on the, the cover of the, of, the, of the VHS and now Blu-ray and DVD. On, uh, you know... In in movie context, you know, you you got the guys on the chopper watching this happen, too. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you see Barnes kind of tense up because he's like, what? He's alive? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Not for much longer, but yeah. Uh, 
So that that sets in the motion uh, with Charlie Sheen realizing, hmm, okay, mm-hmm. I know what happened. They pretty much knew it right away. Well, and then, and then after all that happened, they were they had the downtime when they were back in the bunker, and all the Elias' guys, including uh, Charlie Sheen, were talking about how much of a psychopath that Barnes was, and they would all kill him and whatnot, and then Barnes happens to walk in. Yeah, guess who was listening? Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's like the uh, the mic's still on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the camera's still rolling. You didn't turn your phone off? Yeah. Like, dude. And, yeah, then Barnes goes in on this whole rant about, you know, is he a bad guy and whatnot. And then, basically, Charlie Sheen tackles him, goes after him. Yeah. And Barnes ain't having none of that. Controls the situation rather quickly and puts a knife to his face. Yeah, Charlie Sheen gets a, uh, a little... Souvenir to go mm. home. Uh, luckily, that's all he gets. Yeah, but I, uh, mostly because there are witnesses. Yeah. Um. But you know, it gets paid back later. Mm-hmm. I, I love that Barnes has the balls to ask him to get it. Go get a medic. <laughs> uh, yeah. After the big battle the next morning, you know everybody's messed up. Yeah. I mean. Charlie Sheen doesn't even look like he's alive, but then he wakes up. And then he sees Barnes, and Barnes, Taylor, get me a medic. Nah, I'm just going to send you to hell now. <laughs> like, like, do you really expect him to go do that? <laughs> Come on. You're right. So, so there, and, and there, shortly thereafter, there's your pew pew pew, and yeah. kills Barnes, and there were no witnesses. Well, uh, he, he knew it was coming, too. As soon as uh, that hesitation hit, he knew it was about to happen. Mm-hmm. But you know, by then he had lost his mind. He was he was gone. So, well, I don't know if he lost his mind, but I think he was just numb to everything at that point. Yeah. Well, he was so paranoid that someone was going to rat him out over the the village. Yeah. Which, yeah, probably someone would have. Because well, you know, Taylor would have done it. Yeah. He was a witness. Um, and then even after that happened, you know, they're going to get ready to get, you know, to get to clear the village out and get everybody. Then you, you know, Taylor finds one of the, one of the troopers raping a young little girl. Yeah. Another war crime. Yeah. I don't know if, um, I don't think that ever got reported, but that, um, and I, I don't know if burning the village would have qualified because in the context, it was clear that they had reason to believe that the food supplies and, of course, the weapon stash was for the, the Viet Cong, yeah. And so, they were actually ordered to fire the village. Right. So, with... And... Whoever gave the order, it could have been a war crime against them, but... Um, yeah. I think they would have probably been justified with that one. I could be wrong. Someone can correct me on that. I'm more than willing to hear the reality, but... Um, yeah. Killing a civilian, uh, yeah, the the guys going after the two girls, the well, killing two civilians because Bunny killed the other the other guy. It's it, like after the first one that was already over, and then yeah, and then killing yeah. the killing the old lady. Well, you killing the old lady, you kill you you, you kill the the, uh, the younger guy, and it shows how much a Bunny how much of a psychopath he was. Yeah. He beats him to death with, with the butt of his shotgun, 
and has the nerve to turn to Taylor and say, man, I ain't never seen brains like that. Yeah, yeah. So nonchalantly. Yeah, he was clearly the guy that was uh, the unsympathetic character mm-hmm. in this one that uh, you would not have felt bad had he gotten the bullet. And, right. Um, so, yeah, rough scene, rough scene. Um, even the guy running away, I, I understand why he got shot down because mm-hmm. he was probably going to tell the reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come here right now. Yeah. Um, poop and poo. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that it was good or anything, but I, I understood the reasoning behind that one. But the old lady, even the, the, the kid. Yeah. I mean, that was just, nah. the old lady was just trying, they were trying to get information and it wasn't, they, they felt it wasn't working. Right. And, and he was probably telling the truth. I mean, the, Think the VC's gonna be straight with them about stuff? Come on. No, and the funny part is after he killed her, he now threatens the daughter. And, yeah. And the guy maintained. He says, "I'm telling you everything I know." Yeah. And you know, then Elias comes to you know be the the white knight, thankfully. Uh but yeah. Yeah, rough times. Well, rough movie in general. Indeed. Um, <laughs> one part that did crack me up a little bit was um, the the first exchange when uh, Charlie Sheen takes the one along the side of the neck. I'm dying. And he's acting like he's fucking dying. <laughs> the guy over to his left or whatever is like, got like, Bullet wounds all up him, and he's got oh, Gardner's just Gardner, yeah, yeah, like. And then yeah, Charlie Sheen, the doctor comes over. He's like, "It's a scratch. Tell me the truth, Doc. I'm I'm dying, aren't I?" <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> and that was funny. And then another funny scene to me was going into the last battle. You got Junior who took insect spray and sprayed it all over his bare feet to try to get out. Yeah. And Barnes is like, "If you don't walk, you're on your own, pal." <laughs> yeah. Junior always had a, always had a, uh, an angle. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, lot, a lot of bad stuff. Uh, a lot of um, also, uh, like with the ants and and like they, they showed snakes a few times, which didn't really bug me. But you know those little things that you don't think about because it reminds you of where you where this movie's taking place, right? Because, yeah, that one scene where you had Taylor standing there and the snake slithered right between his, his feet. Yeah. And he's like, uh. And then, yeah, he had the he fell asleep on the watch and he had ants all up and down his neck. and um, Just yeah, those little things that the elements brought forth to make them even more miserable than they already were. Right. Ugh. And then when they actually got a chance to go back to base... You know, here here comes King, and he sees Taylor after Taylor's been scratched and been released from the hospital. And here comes Red. Where did you get the beer, boy? They take his beer and they make him go clean shitters and, <laughs> and burn shitters. And it's like, how messed up is that? I'll tell you one thing that surprised me, um, just uh, kind of off topic, but as um, you go through each of the scenes where they're in the field. 
I was really surprised that they were allowed to keep their smoke strapped to their helmet. Just because, you know, the whole idea of their garb was to blend in, and now you have this bright red pack of cigarettes <laughs> on your fucking head of all places. Uh, that's Barnes for you. Like, and like a few of the guys did, and they had different brands, but yeah. they all seemed to have them, and I... I it must have been the way that it was. But, yeah. You know, I can't imagine um, Oliver Stone writing that in and it not being how they did it. Well, and the thing was, too, Oliver Stone did write that in, and he made sure, like, the Marble Red Packs were a different color red than like, they were back then. Yeah. The attention to detail that he, he took to this movie was pre- incredible. Nice. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, it surprises me that the, the military would have allowed that. Well, again, that, that was a different time. Yeah. It just seemed counterintuitive to the... Or counterproductive. You know, you know the the whole point of, of your gear yeah. blending in with the um, the surroundings. But, yeah. Man, must not have thought it was too big a deal. I guess if by the time you could see the cigarette pack, maybe it's too like, late. well, I could already see the guy <laughs> well especially at night when they're doing a lot of their ambush watches and you can't see it you're in the jungle it's, it's pitch black certainly in the in the nighttime that yeah for sure um i mean the fact that you know they, they, that was the one part that did bug me a little bit too is the fact that they had the cigarettes on the helmet and they were in quote-unquote vietnam which it always freaking rained mm-hmm. you'd have a ruined pack of cigarettes uh that's that's true i didn't even think about that you'd have a basically a Sponge, a nicotine-filled sponge. <laughs> nicotine right. tobacco sponge is what you would have. Um, I thought it was cool that they showed him like eating out of the rations and everything too, like the eating, real military rations. The rations and eating out of the, eating beans out of a can and yeah, give him some hot sauce. There we go. Like, like you said, there there were some cool details in there that. And another, another couple of things when I was reading through some of the background for this movie. The one scene where you see Red, uh, he lights his cigarette and it goes to the light barn cigarette, and the zippo goes out. Uh-huh. And they roll, and that, 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 that was not planned. That just happened. Yeah. And they rolled right with it, and, and Oliver Stone's like, that's real life. Let's do that. Let's keep it. Yeah. And it, it was cool because you, you see him give him that look like, the fuck, man. Yeah. What the fuck? Oh, okay. And he, and he relights it. <laughs> like, that, that's a testament to the improv skills of the actors, just to be able to... Well, there, and there was another scene, it was fairly early on in the movie, too, where you see King, and they're, they're, all, they're all marching up like a hill, and you see King fall, slip and fall, because of the terrain. That was not written in either, but they just went with it, because it uh-huh. felt natural. That one I did not know. That yeah. That's cool. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a really good one to watch for anybody that's even remotely interested about that time in our history that... Well, if you're a fan of, a fan of war movies, I mean legit war movies, not, I mean, yeah, I consider, you know, Apocalypse Now, you know, The Deer Hunter, uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, yeah. I consider those legit war movies. If you're a legit war movie above, this is something you got to watch. The nice one about this one, too, is it's not quite the marathon that 
the other guys are. Um, well, Full like, Metal Jacket's not terrible, but... but that like, was not bad. No, but Apocalypse Now is, but, what, three hours long? Yeah, three directors cut, like, 3.50, I think. Yeah. Uh, Deer Hunter is a good two and a half plus. Yeah. Um, this one clocks in, I think, under two hours, just barely, and... It, yeah, so it's it's digestible, but it really hammers the point across. Well, I mean, if, if, if any of you out there are thinking, well, I like Heartbreak, Heartbreak Ridge, that's not a war movie. <laughs> that's a comedy. Right. That's so much about comedy, it's not even funny. Because, yeah, you've got legit military stuff going on, but like the stuff in their barracks, that doesn't happen. Where they're going to defy the uh, the, uh, the gunny sergeant? That don't happen. <laughs> Not if they want to live. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I've had friends that have gone and, and, and you know, like I said, with the with uh, Heartbreak Ridge, that was the portrayal of the Marine Corps. I've had friends that have gone into the Marine Corps, and basically, uh, they would they were able to send a letter home once a month, and the letter all everybody's letter all said the same thing. It was I or I. Then you had to fill in your name. I'm doing fine. Love you, and then you write your name in. That, that's all it was. Huh. That's how hardcore the. I don't think they're that way anymore. But that's how hardcore the Marine Corps used to be. Well, damn. Because <laughs> like they say in Full Metal Jacket, they don't want people. They want soldiers. They want they want robots. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of touching on it before. You have to be a machine. Yeah. Out there, and if a cog in the machine breaks. The whole thing goes down. And that's and going back into Full Metal Jacket, that's where you see Joker break down at the end. He couldn't do it. Right. He couldn't pull the trigger. Well, thankfully, and, thankfully uh, Raptor Man did. And, uh, you know, D'Onofrio broke down before that. Oh, yeah. Well, In a real big way. Well, he got the shit beat out of him, too, with bars of soap. Yeah. Uh, we will definitely visit that movie in a future episode. Uh, Arlie Ermy, I love the guy. So God rest his soul. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, going back to Platoon though, yeah, this is a real legit hardcore war, realistic war movie. And yeah. if you want, like, a, you know, an inside look at the Vietnam War, this is the way to do it. If you, if you, you know, if it's like, like, kind of like me. I mean, my dad never really talked about the Vietnam War. He wanted me to sit and watch this movie with him because it was the most realistic portrayal of it. And now that I'm older, and I, you know, I I watched it this morning just to kind of refresh myself, and it's like I sat there, you know, wondering myself, how did my dad get through that? How? Yeah, you wonder how anybody did. Yeah. And even remotely functioned. Yeah. You know, but you know, let's say hats off, <laughs> absolute hats off. You know, well, to all our militaries, you know, all through the world now, you know, God bless you for everything you do. And all our veterans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we'll never take for granted how incredibly tough of a lifestyle that has to be. Uh, yep. Uh, it certainly would not be one that I would thrive in. And No. Even at the peak of my, uh, I don't know, athletic... Uh, Prowess. Acumen, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I would have probably lasted about half a day. <laughs> Tops. So, I mean, <clears throat> you got guys, I mean, people we know, Eric Seffner, he was in the Army for a good long time. Yeah. And he was stationed in Korea. I mean, obviously not in the war, but I mean, I mean I've mean, i known, I've got a lot of friends that, you know, Big Dave. He was in, he was in uh, Desert Storm. 
yeah, I got countless friends and family that have that have served, and it's like, damn, yeah, just getting through basic. Hats off. <laughs> oh yeah. So, and like I mean, going back to you know what you're saying about Big Dave, you see how big the guy is. How did he survive? Yeah. And he said he was bigger back then. How did he? And he he legit. Who knows if it's true, but he said during boot camp they all he did was run him. He said he said during boot camp he lost 100 pounds. I can imagine, uh, yeah. which is not safe, but. Uh, I, I imagine pretty much everything is based around cardio. Yeah. That brings me to another movie. It, it's that one, and this one's another kind of, it is it is a comedy. Biloxi Blues with Matthew, Matthew Broderick. Okay. I mean, they're walking through the swamp, they're getting ready to go, I believe it's World War II. And they're walking through the swamp, and they're training, and they're, they're all talking because they're walking single file, and their uh, uh, platoon leader or platoon sergeant was Christopher Walken. And it's like, you know, and he, Christopher Walken's barking out orders at him and said, you know, what are you, you guys need to move faster, blah, blah, blah. And you hear Matthew Broderick, Matthew Broderick just whisper, I'd find the next subway if I could. <laughs> And then like a minute or two later, somebody says something else, and you hear Christopher walking walk by Matthew Broderick. Oh, you, you want to find a subway, do you? <laughs> He's like, I hear everything. But it, again, there's your, there's your funny war movies, and you got your real war movies. Right. I mean, the Biloxi Blues is the Good Morning Vietnams, you know, the Heartbreak Ridges. I mean, they're good movies, but they're not war movies. Nah, that's different, uh, different category. Oh yeah. But those are comedies that ha- that have to do with war or military. Wow, well. like in the army now with Polly Shore. <laughs> However, shall we put some numbers here on platoon? We shall. I mean, I think we've covered all the bases in this. Well, let's start off with uh, this is our first drama movie, so um, we'll start off with the plot. Well, the plot was, you know, real life. It was, it was the backsetting of the Vietnam War. So, I mean, that to me is natural. It's organic. Mm-hmm. So I'll give it a five because you're, you're going on everything that happened. Okay. So. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and give this a four and a half myself. I, uh, I don't know that it needed any more than it had. Uh, it was was not really clear what the objective was other than fight Viet Cong, so I don't... I, it would have been nice to see them have um, a pure mission objective. Maybe that's just the way that things were, and, you know, you hold your position and well, fight the advance or something, but... Know, to me, to me, the plot was survival. I, where the... Yeah, where the this shines is all of the characters individual plots right like and and collectively the plot of the platoon as a whole right um like you say with just gearing towards the survival um but yeah nothing i don't think it needed anything more no I, i think it was just fine where it was at uh how about the visuals I mean, granted, it was filmed in the Philippines, but 
you know, I've never been to Vietnam, but I couldn't see it being much different. I mean, it was, again, authentic. It was, mm. I mean, again, we talked about it earlier, attention to detail that Oliver Stone paid by bringing in orange or red dirt to match what Vietnam was. So, I mean, to me, the jungle scenes were, great, you know, great. I mean, kind of, again, it's a dark movie, but that's what you're going to get with that. I'm going to go with a five again. I mean, I just, mm. it, again, it felt so authentic and real. Um, I will also give this one a five. I like that they didn't shy away from the night scenes being too dark because that was how it was, was supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to be fighting in the cover of night. And if it was, you know, if they just used a blue filter and tried to make it look like that with the pseudo night vision. Yeah. No. Like that a lot of movies do with nighttime scenes. Like it just wouldn't have had the same feel. So no, uh, I, I appreciated that a lot. And like we've already covered all the others, the aspects of it. Uh, so I, I will forgive the use of tracers and give this one a perfect score. Well, and again, we, we talked about that earlier. It was more for visuals. It was yeah. it just to lighten things up a little, little, little bit. Yeah, it was to give the audience a, a frame of reference of how the fight was going. Right. I, I got it. Done. The, uh, or I got what they were going for. At right. Least, uh, but how about the dramatics? Again, all the subplots, you know, with, with you know, Chris Taylor and then the whole thing, the whole power struggle between Elias and Barnes and, you know, Red always crying and complaining that he needs to get out of there. And then you got Junior trying to find, always find a way to get himself out. And then you got the head, you know, what they called the heads with all the stoners with Big Harold, you know, Forrest Whitaker and uh, King. and First time we touched on him on this episode, yes, we, too. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Very young Forrest Whitaker. And not quite as young as when he was in uh, uh, The Color of Money, but in that, state, in that same area. But, I mean, for me, all those subplots, and it brought all that drama, on, in addition to the drama of the war itself. So to me, I mean, it wasn't too much. It was it was the right amount, but I mean, it it wasn't one of those things where it left me on the edge of my seat. But it kept me very much involved. So I'm not gonna go perfect with this one, but four and a half. Right on. Uh, I don't have too much to add to that. Uh, I I think their choice in actor casting was wonderful, and it really amplified. The dramatics as we're as we're talking about it, I I'm, I gotta go with four and a half as well. I, I they say I don't really have anything um, of real substance to add to that. So well, speaking of the casting, though, something, again in my doing my research for this movie, I found it really interesting because we knew already about Jim Morrison how they wanted him to be the guy, but obviously he, he died. Their second choice was Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. He didn't want it. He didn't want it. And their final choice was not Charlie Sheen. It was Emilio Estevez. <laughs> and because it was so long and taking to get the, to get this started, he couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, I think they had cast or uh, auditioned him, what, two years prior to getting mm-hmm. greenlit? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they wanted Emilio. Emilio. <laughs> That's another movie for another time, youngins. Ah, yeah. But, moving on with our scores here. How about the music? Oh, 
again, we talked about it earlier. I mean, the woodwinds, the tones, just it set it set that mood. And then, like I said, the cool music when they're in the tent smoking, you know, smoking all that crap and whatnot. Was it a white Rabbit? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. That's a five to me. Yeah, I'm gonna wholeheartedly agree with a five. I mean, yeah, you, you had some uh, Otis Redding, I believe, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, just all kinds of greatness on that soundtrack. Uh, I. I have the soundtrack in the other room on CD. I can't give you the full track listing off the top of my head, but... I can for you right now. It's freaking awesome. Adagio for Strings, The Village, Track of My Tears, Smokey Robinson. Yep. Oki from Muskoki, Merle Haggard. Just, it's a who's who. Oh, yeah, I mean, you got The Doors, you got Jefferson Airplane, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Percy Sledge, The Rascals. Yep. They they killed it. They they absolutely killed it. And then like like we mentioned with the with the string section. Yeah. Um great great piece that just fit the, the tone of the movie perfectly. So yeah. to me it set the tone. Yeah. I, I, I agreed. Uh how about the acting? Well, for me it's like, okay. I wasn't overly thrilled with Charlie Sheen's, you know, because he, he didn't wow me. Mm-hmm. But he, he serviced the role fine. You know, but, you know, John C. McGinley, perfect character for what he needed to be. Barnes being a psychopath and Tom, Tom Berenger, yes. I mean, Elias, Willem Dafoe. I mean, you can't go wrong with these guys. So these, for me, the acting, it wasn't 100%, but I, I'm going to go four and a half. Okay. <coughs> So I'm going to give this one a five, and I'll give this one a five for a few reasons. Um, first off, I, I uh, all of these guys are world class, uh, so they're this performance plus all their ones since pretty much speak for themselves. But if you watch watch the eyes on these guys, you know people can act with their voice, uh, and, and they can do stuff with their body but where you grab people is the eyes and this one oh my god you can watch that but each guy has that different little path like uh like john mcginley's you can see the eyes get desperate down mm. to just resign to his fate and you can see barnes get more steely eyed and paranoid in the eyes and yeah, Charlie Sheen gets more desperate mm-hmm. as time goes by. And well, and Elias off. never changes because he's just cool. Yeah, <laughs> well, that he's stoned half the time yeah. too. <laughs> like, it, I thought this this really stood out. Um, you, you'll see it in other movies too, but this one I, for some reason I just picked up on it from the beginning, and well, it, it's really impressive. Well, you got and plus two. We haven't really talked much about him, but funny Kevin Dillon. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you brought that up about the eyes, because he had the thousand-yard stare. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Because he was just blank inside. He didn't care. Yeah, he was absolutely like a husk. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's fantastic. And and you can't teach it. No, you can't. Um, Absolutely wonderful, and it, it sucks me in. Yeah. Absolutely sucks me in. So, overall... Well, that's a five for me. I mean, again, if you are a history person, 
especially a Vietnam War area history person. Yeah, this is going to, I mean, I've, like I said, I've heard plenty of people online, my dad's friends that were in Vietnam, my dad said it. This was Vietnam to us. This is what it was. Uh, so this is the rare movie where I don't give perfects across the board, but I'm going to give a perfect overall score of five as well. Um, I think we've hammered in all the reasons why into the ground, so I'm just going to leave it at you should go and watch this if you haven't already, and if it's been a long time, I give it another look. Give it some love, because, yeah, it's definitely worth it. A timeless classic. Yeah, just make sure you're in the right mood going in, because you're not going to walk away feeling great. If This is not a uh, everyone lives happily ever after movie. No. Or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, if, this, if this is your first time watching it, let us know at Who's Your Movie Podcast, you know, at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. We'll bring you a puppy and a, and a fudgesicle or something, you know. Yeah, right. You can have my dog, actually. But anyways, <laughs> that little shit just keeps chewing all my stuff. Anyways, uh, but no, we'll just bring, bring you a fudgesicle or something you know, to cheer you up, because you'll realize after the fact, you might be like, oh, God. But it was such a good movie. Uh, since, you know, it was out in the 80s, maybe we can get him to bring back Puddin' Pops. Well, we don't want to have the Bill Cosby thing going well, on We can have somebody else hawk them. We just want to bring back the Pops. Let's do Chris Tucker. They were tasty. Yes, they were. <laughs> yeah. Chris, we have Chris Tucker to hawk the Pudding Pops. <laughs> all right, all right, America, make it happen. Chris Tucker, Puddin' Pops. That's right. Or we can do Eddie Murphy or somebody. Oh. He, does the, he does the impersonation so well. But what we're going to make happen here is our pick for the next episode. Oh, yes. Time for the machine of randomness to tell us what's up on deck. And here we go. Whoo, the graduate. Wow. That's an interesting choice that I was not expecting to come up on the list. I have not seen that in a long time. Uh, I have not in a long time either, but I can tell you The Sound of Silence plays at least 7,500 times throughout the movie. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, a baby Dustin Hoffman. A baby Dustin Hoffman, yes. Alright, I'm get behind this. I'm down with that one, yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. So, it'll, yeah, it'll be a, you know, still a little bit um, sideways from our, our normal... List entrance. It won't be quite as dark as tonight. Not even remotely. Mm-hmm. This one will be a little bit more uh, coming of age. Yes. So awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm right. And I know this is kind yeah. of oh, kind of weird, but it just reminds me of the end of Wayne's World too. <laughs> Seeing as I just watched it the other day, but excellent, See excellent. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that'll bring us to the end of another successful episode. Hope you've enjoyed it, everybody. Like I said, we'd love to hear your feedback. And you know, again, if you're a first time, uh, first time uh, watching the movie Platoon, let us know. We'll bring you, we'll bring you a pudding pop. There you go. We'll make it happen somehow. That's right. <laughs> even if we have to fly somewhere. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, well, mind you, though, if we have to fly somewhere, they'd probably be melted. <laughs> like Zim said. Look us up at Who's Your Movie at gmail.com or Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Let us know your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, something you'd like us to review. And then we'll talk to Oliver Stone and see if we can go back and, re- and reshoot it. I'll reshoot a scene where they blow barns up instead of shooting them or something. There you go. 
We can make that happen. I mean, Tom Berger's still kicking, but none. Probably, he's not as young as he used to be, but whatever. <laughs> it's all right. And, CGI. And, you know, if there was any any scene with, you know, Chris Taylor, Charlie Sheen's pretty much lost his mind. <laughs> so. Uh, and has HIV, but. Oh, man. Well. Yes. On that happy note. Everyone out there, thanks for listening. And again, thanks to everybody out there. Serving in our armed forces, we appreciate the struggle and what you all do and yes. what you all have to go through. And God bless you. Yeah, God bless you, because I sure as hell wouldn't be able to do it myself. And that's, and that's another thing my dad ta- told me when after we watched this movie. I asked my dad, I'm like, were you drafted or did you enlist? He said, I enlisted. And I asked why. He says, so you wouldn't have to. Nice. Yeah. Excellent parting thought. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better way to sign off than that. So, until next time, everybody, I am Bill. I'm Zim. And we'll see you on down the road. Yes, sir. See ya. Peace.